Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I will be going through some of the biggest moments in the world of sports and playing some great music along the way. Like I said in my show last week, which was my first one back for this semester, I'm experimenting with genres slash themes for my music for this semester, and so... Last week I did 2010s music, which feels weird to say just because I know the decade's not over yet, but it's pretty close. And then today I'm going to be doing 2000s music. So that'll be my music that I'll run throughout my show. It'll be 2000s stuff today. As far as my actual sports content today, a whole lot of stuff. The World Track and Field Championships are taking place in Doha right now. And so I'll talk about that a little later on. The NHL RFA situations are mostly done, so I'll talk about which teams I think did well, which players I think did well, and overall total impressions from the restricted free agent class of 2019. And then, of course, NFL Week 4. I have to have that in my schedule as well. All kinds of craziness in the NFL because there kind of always is craziness in the NFL. It's just one of those, it's one of those leagues that... Things change so dramatically. What you think about the league going into Friday is vastly different from what you think going into Monday. That's just how it is. And I love that about it. But of course, I do have to start with the Mount Royal Cougars soccer teams. Like I mentioned in my show last week, this is going to be my opening segment for the next little while here. I'll be covering and talking about the Mount Royal Cougars soccer teams. I have the privilege of being the PA announcer for both men's and women's teams. So I get to watch all the home games. And, well, this weekend wasn't ideal for anybody who saw what the weather forecast was like. I think you could guess about how lovely it was to be outside on Saturday. The Sunday games were actually canceled because of snow. And then on Saturday, they both played their games in quote-unquote playable conditions. I use quotes because the field was really bad. It was just covered in snow, and you saw players slipping like everywhere, left and right. And I understand why they were very insistent on trying to finish the games. At the university level, it's very difficult to reschedule things. It's not like Calgary Minor Soccer where, oh, our game got snowed out. Well, we're just going to reschedule for sometime next week or something. It's not quite as easy at the university level. So I understand why they were so insistent on finishing both the games. Both teams got pretty good results, though, I will say. I'll start with the women's game that kicked off at 1 o'clock on a very snowy field that got better at halftime thanks to some shoveling that went on. But... It was, it was definitely one of these games where both teams had real hard time getting their foot into it. And that made sense. It's just the snow, the conditions. When you have snow like that, the biggest problem is that you can't just full-out sprint. Because if you full-out sprint and try to cut, you're going to slip and lose your edge and totally wipe out. So you have to be very strategic with how you run, which makes it a lot more difficult to get any kind of proper momentum going. And so that makes it just overall difficult to execute any kind of game plan that you might have heading into the game. But full credit to the women's team. They drew 1-1 with the University of Alberta. And to be honest, I think they were unlucky not to get the win because they the penalty that was given for U of A, and that was their only goal in the game, was they scored a penalty kick. And then the women's team equalized thanks to their first goal of the season scored by Janae Martins. Fantastic response from the Mount Royal women's team. But also, the penalty they got given against them, personally, I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought that was a extremely harsh call. They called it a handball in the box, but I really didn't think it was. as a re- And I, I know why things get called differently referee to referee. If you look at the rule book in soccer, it's very much subjective based for a lot of rules. And some of that I like that it's a little bit subjective. Some of that I really don't like. And so the referee on the field saw it differently than what I did. And it's the same thing with any referee. I was a referee for five years for soccer. And so having done that, 
having had that experience of being a ref for five years, I know that what I call, you know, someone else might call differently, right? And so the idea is that just that not every perspective is going to be the same. And unfortunately, the referee called a handball on the field. I disagreed with the call. I didn't think it. Was, I didn't think it was the correct call. But of course, it's, it wasn't my opinion. It was the referee on the field, and so that unfortunately led to the goal conceded by the women's team. But the Cougars did a fantastic job, like I said, in maintaining their composure and getting that big equalizer. And now, and like I said on my show last week, I really hope that this is a stepping stone for them where they got that goal. They finally broke the scoreless streak. And now let's hope that lots more goals are on their way, especially with hopefully better weather conditions. Moving on to the men's team, they were the second game on the Saturday. And they won their game 3-1 to against the McEwen Griffins to extend their lead at the top of the Canada West table as they currently sit first place in the Prairie Division. Now eight wins on the season and two losses. And they have quite a gap, to be honest, on both University of Calgary and the University of Saskatchewan. Mo Elgandur scored two goals and had an assist for the men's team in their big win over McEwen. Once again, like I was saying with the women's game, the conditions on the field were terrible. Players slipping all over the place. But they were able to finish the game, and so that was at least a good positive. There was a one-hour delay at halftime, which wasn't ideal. But, I mean, they were basically trying to determine whether or not they could continue the match, and so they eventually decided they could. And the men's team was able to pull out the 3-1 to victory. And so that's always, when you're playing in conditions like that, to be able to get a result, I think is always a positive. Because again, game plans get thrown out the window to a large extent because it's like, yeah, well, you, your players can't exactly full out sprint because the minute they try to cut, they're going to wipe out because that's just <laughs> how it is. With field conditions like that, it's you have to be very careful. And so... Considering that, I think they played really well. And like I said, Mount Royal is first place. And so I was looking, I was trying to do a little bit of math. Canada West makes it very difficult just by the way their rules are worded. So first of all, Canada West, make your rules easier to read. But the way the standings are sorted on the men's side, it's by win percentage. And so you have to have a higher win percentage and that determines the standings. And the way the playoffs work is just that the top four teams in each division go to the playoffs. The top two from the Pacific Division host three and four from the Prairie Division. And then the top two from the Prairie host the three and four from the Pacific. So I did a little bit of math. And granted, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, my math. But I think I think roughly it is, especially for what I was do- what I was using it for. But basically... If Mount Royal win two of their remaining four matches, there's nothing anyone can do. They'll post a playoff game. So the Mount Royal Cougars men's team is pretty much two wins away from hosting, from being guaranteed to host a playoff game, which would be unbelievable. And so I really hope that they can do it. Obviously, that's fully in their own control. Right now, the team in third place in the standings is the University of Saskatchewan who have three wins, three losses, and four draws. And so Saskatchewan is kind of the one team that could overtake Mount Royal, but it would take quite a lot for that to happen. And so I'm I'm not going to completely rule it out, but certainly... Basically, U of S and Mount Royal still have to play each other this season. That's the game that Mount Royal have to win. And if they do, their chances of hosting would be pretty much a given at that point. So very exciting the fact that they're still very much, they're very close to being able to set history this year. And so that would be amazing if they could make history and host a playoff game for the first time ever. The women's team, meanwhile, I forgot to mention this, they are one point out of a playoff spot. And so their playoff hopes very much alive. And so the next few games for them, very crucial in picking up point for picking up points and for trying to get into that sixth position for a playoff spot. 
that's pretty much all I got for the Cougars updates. Like I said, the Sunday games got canceled because of the weather. And so hopefully the games this upcoming weekend will be able to go ahead. But of course, we'll wait and see. It is Calgary and weather always changes here just because Calgary weather likes being... What's the word I can use? Likes being difficult. Let's say that. Calgary weather likes being very difficult, especially on outdoor events. But regardless, like I said, today's music is all from the 2000s. I'm starting it out with just the one song, and I have Green Day with Boulevard of Broken Dreams. You're listening to Mount Royal University's CMRU.ca by students for you.
cmru.ca. Bye, students. For you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on cmru.ca. Bye, students. For you. I'm into my second segment, but very quickly, just before I get into that, I wanted to say, so I was looking on Facebook, and speaking of the snow here in Calgary, I saw, so Cavalry FC, they're the professional Canadian Premier League team that play out of Calgary, out of Spruce Meadows, actually, and so they posted a video on Facebook, and I know, I realize this is a radio show, but... I can describe the fact that they basically have giant snow plows plowing the snow from the field at Spruce Meadows. And so I just think that's kind of funny just because elements always play a factor. That field, by the way, at Spruce Meadows is not good normally. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for the rest of the season. And hopefully, and, you know, fingers crossed. So the Canadian champ. Premier League final got determined today and so Spruce Meadows and Calgary will host the second leg of the final on November 2nd and so I really hope there isn't inclement weather that weekend because I would feel so bad for both mostly the players I think for both Forge and Cavalry if they had to play on that field with these type of conditions so hopefully it warms up especially in the week prior to that final happening. Anyway, my second segment of the day is NFL Week 4 Recap. Like I said in my show last week, I'm going to be doing a storyline-based recap for my NFL coverage this year, as opposed to just talking about individual games. And don't worry, I'll still talk about individual games, but it's mostly storyline-based. So, without wasting any more time, my first storyline of NFL Week 4. The Lions and Bills might actually be good. I know it's kind of a a weird feeling to say the Buffalo Bills are good and the Detroit Lions are good, but they actually might be really good, especially Buffalo. Buffalo, of course, took on the New England Patriots this weekend, and they lost a very hard-fought 16-10 to match where basically Tom Brady had one of the worst games I've seen from him in the last, like, four or five years. He just could not get any kind of rhythm in this game. He really couldn't, and... Full credit to the Bills' defense. They were ferocious. They were getting pressure up the middle. It was a fantastic defensive display from the Buffalo Bills. And offensively, they may have struggled, but the New England Patriots also have a pretty spectacular defense. So that was kind of to be expected. I think Buffalo proved a lot. I mean, they're not a Super Bowl contender by any means, but this team... Buffalo could definitely be a wildcard team this year. I'm very confident they will be in the mix, if not maybe even comfortably in the fifth seed, I think, by the end of the season. Like, Buffalo, they look really good. And I hope Josh Allen's okay, by the way, too, just because he left with a head injury because he got hit in the head. And so I hope he's okay because Buffalo definitely need him. Matt Barkley's not one. Speaking as an Eagles fan who... Watched him as the third string for a few years. I don't think he's a guy you can rely on for maybe more than a drive or two. Anyway, storyline number two. Rams and Vikings have quarterback problems. So, both LA and Minnesota, they kind of have a problem at the most important position in the sport. Just because, I mean... Jared Goff has not been good this season. He got a whole bunch of money, and he has not been close to that level. Minnesota, meanwhile, gave Cousins a whole bunch of money a couple years ago, and he continues to just not be able to win big games. Like, that's just... I mean, I don't know. He can't win big games. Like, and even... Not even just big games. Games against decent teams. This was... Over the last five years or so, Kirk Cousins has four wins against teams with winning records. Let me repeat that. Four wins against teams with winning records. That's not good. That's bad. That's really bad. And so Minnesota has a problem because their defense is okay. And they have a great run game. But Chicago neutralized that run game. And then Kirk Cousins could not 
do anything against that Bears defense. And I know the Bears defense is really good, and they do that to a lot of quarterbacks, but this is a trend with Cousins. This isn't a one-off. This isn't a fluke, weird, bad performance. No, this is a trend. And for Jared Goff, he hasn't been good all season. They've gotten by. The Rams have won a lot of games, but it's mostly been because Goff's been good enough for them, and then their defense has usually won them games by making plays. But that was not the case this weekend against Tampa Bay, who basically totally obliterated that defense. Jameis Winston looked like a Hall of Fame quarterback this weekend against that Rams defense. And then Jared Goff had three interceptions and a fumble. So, I think LA's defense probably just had a bad week. I think they're probably due for a bounce back at some point. Minnesota has a QB problem. I think the LA Rams have a QB problem. And until they fix their QB problems, they're going to be held back, I think, from really achieving their absolute best this season. Storyline number three, the AFC North will be a battle. And I'm so happy. The AFC looked really boring heading into this week. But Cleveland got a very impressive win over Baltimore. And so at least... We're going to have some intrigue in the playoff race, and I'm very happy about that. Because the, the NFC has so many teams that could make the playoffs, and the AFC has so many teams that could get the number one, <laughs> the number one pick. So it's nice to see that the AFC North, Cleveland and Baltimore, it's going to be a fight all season long between these two sides. And so that's going to be very nice to see. Storyline number four. Gardner Minshew and Kyle Allen look pretty good. I know these two haven't played a lot, and they're backup quarterbacks, but, I mean, full credit, Minshew has stepped in and looked pretty good for Jacksonville, especially considering he's a sixth-round draft pick. And you know what? They have back-to-back wins. The Jaguars are not totally done in this division race, especially if Minshew can just keep the ship afloat, and then Nick Nick Foles can come in, and they'll win the Super Bowl, because Nick Foles tends to do that, where he'll come in at the end of the season and lead the team on a playoff run, and then, you know, play Super Bowl in the playoffs. That's pretty much what happens, right? (laughs) Or maybe that's just the last couple of years for the Philadelphia Eagles. But either way, I think Minshew, though, his situation is interesting to me, because I almost feel like Jacksonville kind of have to play Foles, at least for a couple of years. But it's one of the, I could be like the Jacoby Brissett situation in a way. And so I'll explain what I mean. So I think what will happen is they're going to let Nick Foles heal and come back from his injury. And then when he's 100% ready to go, they'll throw him back in. And so Minshew's going to get a ton of great experience and reps and all that as part of his development. And then Nick Foles will be the starter for maybe a year or two. And then after that, they'll move on from Foles and let Minshew become the starter in the same way that the Colts kind of let Brissett become the starter although that wasn't quite as planned this could be a lot more planned than than Indianapolis's was just because obviously you're not anticipating your quarterback to retire at 29 years old in the Colts case but in this case I think you can rely on Foles for a year or two and then Minshew can take over full-time because he's shown a lot of very good promise and Kyle Allen I mean Cam Newton might, ha- might not have a job to go back to if he keeps playing the way he does. So, full credit to both of them. It's a very cool storyline, one that's a little under the radar. Obviously, is either are the performances from either quarterback sustainable? We'll have to wait and see, just because it's a very small sample size. And this happens sometimes where a new quarterback comes in and then they play really well just because there isn't game film or tape on them and defensive coordinators don't have a lot to look at but I mean certainly you can only play the teams you play and you can only play the amount of games that you're able to and so for Kyle Allen Gardner Minshew it's been a very good couple weeks and finally my last storyline Vontaze Perfect gets his deserved suspension perfect for anyone who didn't see what happened over the weekend delivered a nasty headshot for Oakland and got kicked out of the game, rightfully so. And this morning, thank goodness, the NFL smartened up because Burfecht was suspended for the rest of the season. This guy is a repeat offender who continually goes out 
to try and injure people. And that kind of stuff disgusts me. And so I hate, like, perfect. It, this happens every year where he goes and will target someone and nail him in the head just trying to knock him out. Like, it's, it's absolutely disgusting to me. And so I'm glad he's suspended for the rest of the season. Very glad to see that. Anyway, those are my five storylines of NFL Week 4. Coming up in the second half hour of my show, NHL RFA contracts. I get to look at pretty much everyone's signed now at this point. So I'll look at what players did well, what teams did well, and overall thoughts on the whole process. Just because this is a very special year of restricted free agents. And then, of course, the World Track and Field Championships taking place right now. I'll go through some of the early results, including the big 100-meter race, which is, of course, one of the... It's probably the signature event for track and field is just the 100 meters. And so we saw a pretty impressive first-place time, and I'll tell you all about that later coming up. For right now, continuing on with my 2000s music for the day... I have two songs. The first one is The White Stripes and Seven Nation Army. And the second one is Rihanna with Umbrella. CMRU Radio. Radio showcasing Mount Royal's own broadcasting talent. Over 40 unique and weekly shows. Find us at cmru.ca. By students, for you.
in my stones. Let it rain, I hide your plane in the bank. Coming down like a Dow Jones. When the clouds come, we go. We Rockefellers, we fly higher than weather. And cheap vibes are better. You know me. In anticipation for precipitation, stack chips for the rainy day. Jay, Rain Man is back with Little Miss Sunshine. Rihanna, where you at? You have my heart, and we'll never be worlds apart. Maybe in magazines, but you still be my star. Baby, cause in the dark, you can't see shiny cars. It's Tuesday, and it's 9 o'clock, and you know what time it is. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody Millage. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, everybody. I hope you had a way better weekend than I did. I was stuck. New music, new talent, new name. CMRU.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca. By students, for you. I just want to remind everybody that it's that time of year again where you can donate blood to save a life that needed your help. Your blood can be the saving grace for your loved ones, including your family and friends that need your help to keep them alive. Every minute, someone in the world needs blood. Your generosity is needed to make sure life continues. As a thank you gift for donating, you'll get a chance to win 
a wing party sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings on Wednesday, October 2nd. Head over to Recreation close to Jugo Juice on MRU campus from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. to do your part for the lives of many. Together, we are Canada's lifeline. That message brought to you by Canadian Blood Services is honestly such a good thing to do. I've donated so many times and if I wasn't recovering from knee surgery right now, I would definitely be going to that on Wednesday. But as soon as I'm able to, I will definitely be donating blood as much as possible just because it is such a great cause to be able to do that stuff. Anyway, on to my third segment of the day, NHL RFA stuff. I'm so glad it's finally over because it kind of got very nerve-wracking that Matthew Kachuk still wasn't signed for Calgary. But now he is, and so... Pretty much everybody has signed at this point. There's a couple like little lower name names that still haven't signed contracts, but pretty much everyone else has come to an agreement of some kind with their team. And so I thought I would go through all the big RFA names and just overall thoughts on their contracts. So I'll start with the first one that was signed, and that was Sebastian Ajo, who signed a five-year deal at $8.45 million per season. He was actually offer-sheeted by the Montreal Canadiens, but Carolina laughed in their face and matched it very easily. So, honestly, just looking at it, I mean, the optics maybe aren't great for this signing because, of course, Montreal had to offer-sheet Ajo and then he accepted and then Carolina matched it. So, the optics maybe aren't great for this, but the numbers are really good. Five-year contract is good for Ajo. 8.45, honestly, is a steal. Absolute steal for the Carolina Hurricanes. He plays center and was a point-per-game guy this last last year. And Ajo, to me, is going to be an anchor for the Finnish national team, assuming they ever go back to the Olympics at at some point. But Ajo's game is fantastic. And to get him at under $9 as a number one center... Fantastic contract for the Hurricanes, as far as the AAV anyway. The five years is good for Ajo because then he'll have another chance to get a massive payday five years from now. And so that was definitely a trend, was that you either went for the five, six-year type of contract or you went for more of the bridge, which was like the three- or two-year contract. And so there was kind of both. Anyway, Ajo overall... The, the term is great for the player. The number, great for the team. That's my thought on it. Brock Besser from Vancouver, he signed a three-year deal at $5.8 million and average annual value. That's all AAV means. It's just their money per season, which is more or less how it's all looked at because it has to do with salary cap stuff. But anyway, Besser's contract is really good for Vancouver because... I mean, the the dollar amount's not too bad. Like, I I don't think the player got fleeced or anything, but Besser has had some injury problems, and so if he can prove that he's durable enough to last all 82 games, I mean, this guy's a goal scorer like nobody's business. And so Vancouver get him at a pretty good rate, and they they don't walk him directly to uh, unrestricted free agency. So I think overall, it's not a bad contract for Besser himself. But I do think this contract definitely is better for the Vancouver Canucks than for the player. Moving on to the Winnipeg Jets, who signed two of their restricted free agents to very different contracts. Kyle Connor signed a seven-year contract worth $7.14 million annually. And Patrick, Patrick Laine signed a two-year deal at $6.75 million annually. So Kyle Connor's contract is great. Because it gives the Jets some long-term security with the fact that Connor will be a Winnipeg Jet for a long time. And the number is very reasonable. Like 7.14 is maybe a little high on the surface for Connor. But if you think about over the seven years, what he's going to basically produce for the team, I think it's a great signing. Uh, a, A very reasonable number, for sure. This guy scored 30 goals this past year, so... I think definitely worth a, a very good contract, I think, for both sides. Line's contract is interesting to me. 6.75 is kind of high on a two-year bridge, but it almost feels like Line at some point is going to leave. And, and that's just, 
weird to think about, but it's just there was a lot of like Connor's contract almost felt like it was always gonna get done. Line had a lot of there's a lot of animosity, it seemed like, between him and the Jets. And so they agreed on a two year bridge deal, but the question the questions about his future in Winnipeg, I think, are legitimate. For right now, six point seven five is pretty good for two years for both player and team. And beyond that, I mean, I guess we'll see in two years where Lina is in his development. We'll see where Winnipeg is with their cap situation. A, a lot. There's a lot of moving parts, I think, in this, in that specific instance. Mitch Marner, meanwhile, the Toronto Maple Leafs got the richest contract of the bunch as far as his average annual value, anyway. Marner signed a six-year contract worth $10.9 million per season, which to me is the biggest overpay in the market, but it's totally understood. I, I know why it was, and that's because the Leafs... See, if you can picture this, so the Toronto Maple Leafs, imagine them as a grave digger, and so they dug their grave pretty deep when they signed Austin Matthews to $11.6 million a season, which he is definitely not worth, but, you know player got his money I'll never ever fault a player for getting his money anyway they dug a pretty deep grave with Austin Matthews and then they tried getting out of that grave for Marner and they're like oh well we kind of can't because Marner's camp was like yeah okay so you're paying that guy 11-6 and I have way more points than him I'm more durable than him because I don't get injured and I kill penalties for you and I might not score or play center but I'm just as important. That's basically what Mitch Marner's camp said to the Leafs. And they, to me, they totally won this negotiation. Full credit to the player for getting the money that he could. And Marner, I think, got a fantastic contract, $10.9 million. Is he worth that amount of money? Probably not. But considering what the Leafs paid Matthews, they had no choice because... They had to make this contract. They had to, they had to sign this. They had no choice. They dug themselves a grave because they way overpaid for Matthews. And so here they are with Marner at six years, $10.9 million. The next contract, this to me, so we went from the biggest player win to I think the biggest team win. Charlie McAvoy of the Boston Bruins. He signed a three-year contract, $4.9 million annually, which to me is just ridiculous. That is such a steal. Such a steal. A little jealous, to be honest. But McAvoy is a fantastic defenseman. And he's getting $4.9 million for three years. I know it's a bridge deal, and so he'll get more money. I get that. But this signing is great for Boston. It is an absolute slam dunk home run for the Boston Bruins. For McAvoy, I kind of wish he would have held up for a little more money because I think he could have gotten more, but... That's just my opinion. Of course, I don't know what the actual negotiations would have been like, but fantastic signing by Boston. The next one, Timo Meyer. He signed a four-year deal, $6 million annually. And so, I don't know. I, I feel like this one kind of goes both ways. It's a reasonable cap number for the Sharks, but also great term for Meyer himself. So overall, I think that's probably another one where term is a win for the player, and money is probably a win for the team. And then Braden Point, probably the second most underpaid player in this list, because Point sorry, signed a three-year contract at $6.75 million per season. And I do, I do know that there's differences because Tampa Bay can sign players and they don't have state income tax, and so players take home more and so they can offer less. But Point was the best player in this class. Like, he... He had over 90 points, and he had like 40 goals, and he plays center. He's so good. Tampa Bay, huge winners in that negotiation. Miko Rantanen signed a six-year contract at $9.25 million per season. This is one that I think the team did really well in because Rantanen could have easily asked for Marner money, and he ended up taking a little bit less for them which is kind of nice, and it's still that six-year term. And so Rantanen is on a much more manageable contract than Marner is. Rantanen had over a point per game this past season, and of course, very famously, 
completely obliterated the Calgary Flames in games three and four and five. And then finally, Matthew Kachuk, just because I wanted to end with the Flames contract. Kachuk signed a three-year deal, $7 million average annual value, which to me is kind of, I kind of have two thoughts on it. In a vacuum, if you just told me at the beginning, or sorry, at the end of last season that you're going to sign Kachuk for three years, $7 million, like average annual value, I would have said that's pretty good. Because in a vacuum, if you just forget about what other teams did, it's not bad. It's not that bad. Just because three years, seven million, it's workable, I think, for Kachuk's contract. The problem is that Braden Point got less and Point's a better player. And you look at some of the other contracts and it's like, yeah, okay. It's not a bad contract, but it could have been a little better. But either way. Kachuk is signed. He's a Calgary Flame. I'm very glad. And he he's a big part of the team. And I think the biggest takeaway for me, honestly, with the Kachuk contract, the Flames are on the clock. This core of Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, Kachuk, and Giordano, Landholm, Hannafin, all these guys, they have three years to try and win a Stanley Cup. After that, you have to start making real changes to the core. But that's the core right now. They have three years to win a cup. So we'll, I hope they can do it. It's a little nerve-wracking, but there's a real expectation with this Flames team. And so they're on the clock. They have a three-year window to try and make it work right now. Anyway, that's all I have to say about the NHL restricted free agent class of 2019. My last segment today, I'll go through the World Track and Field Championships currently going play, taking place in Doha and... Some big events, obviously, we had the 5,000 meters take place. We had the men's and women's 100 meters, and so I'll go through all of that coming up. For right now, just the one song in my music break, and it's Kelly Clarkson and Since You've Been Gone. You're listening to CMRU.ca, by students, for you. you've been 
www.mcu.ca by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My last segment of the day, World Track and Field Championships, have been really upsetting to me, and it's because of the crowds. Nobody's gone to watch these things. Watching the 100-meter final in, like, a stadium that had maybe a quarter of the people in it, that's not exciting. Like, I don't know. To me, that, I think, has been the biggest disappointment so far of the entire championships is just the lack of attendance from people. So, unfortunately. Anyway, on to the actual results. So, I'll start with day one. So, day one, the re really the only final that took place was the marathon on the women's side where the winning time was achieved by Ruth, and I really apologize if I butcher this name, but Chepengetich. I really hope I didn't say that wrong. Anyway, her time was two hours, 32 minutes, and 43 seconds, which to me is just ridiculous <laughs> because that time is unbelievable. And then on the Canadian side, the highest-ranking Canadian in the women's marathon was Lindsay Tessier. She actually ran a season-best two hours, 42 minutes, finishing in ninth place, which is always nice to see the Canadian pride. Day two of the championships had the men's 100-meter final, which is, of course, probably the signature event in all of track and field. Christian Coleman won ran running a just fantastic time, 9.76, winning the men's 100 meters. Justin Gatlin was the silver medalist. 9.89 was his time. Gatlin, I just don't like at all because he. this is a guy who's been caught twice for performance-enhancing drugs, and yet he's still allowed to compete, and I really don't know why. It's just Gatlin, to me, will always be a cheater regardless. Third place, though, very exciting. Andre DeGrasse of Canada, and I felt really bad for him because he's had a really tough couple of years. He's had been dealing with so many injuries and stuff. He hasn't exactly been able to train properly to get to the top of his game. But you know what? He got the bronze medal in this race running a 9.9, .9, which is a personal best for him. Fantastic race from Andre DeGrasse. And so full credit to him. I'm excited. He ran a personal best here. And now, of course, the stepping stone is the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Day three, meanwhile, saw the women's 100-meter race, which was the signature event of the day, won by someone who hasn't really won a race in a long time, at least a major one. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price of Jamaica won, running a 10.71-second 100-meter race. Fraser-Price was the Olympic champion in 2012, and so... After a couple races that maybe weren't quite to her standard, she is back on top. And full credit to her for continuing to stick with it. And she finds herself with another gold medal. Second place went to Dinah Asher-Smith of Great Britain, running 10.83. And then Marie-Josie Talou from Cote d'Ivoire ran a 10.9 to get the bronze medal. The Olympic champion from 2016 Elaine Thompson, she finished fourth place in this race. And so a little bit disappointing for her, but obviously for all of these athletes, like I said, this is a stepping stone to Tokyo 2020. That's where they need to do well and start winning a lot of these events anyway. There was also a world record set in the mixed 4x400-meter relay. And the world record... Time is 3 minutes and 9 seconds by the American team. And so full credit to them. World record on display. Always nice to see world records regardless of what event it is. And then, of course, day 4, which was today. And today we saw the women's 800-meter final take place. Where, and again, I really apologize if I butcher this name. Halima Nakai of Uganda won running 1 minute 58 seconds for the win in the 800 meters. The men's 400 meter hurdles also took place. It was won by Karsten Warholm of Norway running 47.42 seconds, which is again, these times are all just insane to me. The men's 200 meter finals is still to come as well as the 
four by 100 meter relays and the four by 400 meter relays. Those are probably my favorite ones to watch. I love watching relay events. And so those are later on, but I will be able to talk about all of that and all the other events in my show next week. Just because right now we're about halfway through the championships. The final day is actually October 6th. And that will be the final day of the World Track and Field Championships. So my final song of the day that I'm going to leave you on with my 2000s theme is Coldplay with Viva La Vida. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. I will be back next week with all kinds of fantastic sports content and the 1990s will get its due next week. CRI 